0: Good. Well, then we're we're starting uh, a couple of Sundays in um, the Bible, our Bible studies, our Bible kind of learning together, um, from another of these uh, Old Testament prophets, and we're looking at um, uh, the prophet Hosea today. Hosea wrote a book. It's in the Bible. We'll find it in just a moment. In um, we're, we're taking um, what you might call overviews of each of these prophets that we'll be looking at. Like doing a couple of Sundays on each. We've had a great time, well I've enjoyed it anyway, looking at Jonah uh, for a couple of Sundays. Uh, and then the next, the, this Sunday, next Sunday we'll be looking at Hosea. And then when Dan comes back from Indonesia, he'll tell us which uh, of the prophets he's going to be speaking on for a couple of weeks. And then I'll come back and do another couple of weeks on uh, one of the other ones. But we'll let you know uh, what's coming up. Uh, as and when so we're thinking about uh, another prophet like Jonah who brought God's word to the Jewish people actually about the same time he's called Hosea and uh, he shares something else in common with Jonah not only was he speaking God's word but he too uh, in a quite a different way from Jonah as we shall see but he found that the message God had given him kind of wrapped itself into his own personal life. And uh, part of what we're looking at today is the story um, of, uh, of that. So let's find Hosea, if you'd like to. It's on page 900, if you're following... Uh, Bible from the churches if you're not then if you kind of hit the middle of the Bible you should get You'll see Isaiah Jeremiah massive huge prophets I don't think we'll be looking at any of those over over two weeks and then you'll come to Ezekiel a bit later It's another big prophet then that's followed by Daniel and Hosea is after that but page 900 is good enough I expect you found it by now and the and and the first verse which I'm not going to read but you can if you want to just gives us an idea of where Hosea was and when he was around. It's in the 8th century BC. That's in the 700s from you know, uh, 799 through to 700 because Old Testament before Christ history goes backwards, so to speak, or you're counting forwards. I never get it. But anyway, you know what I mean. And it was at that time when the kingdom of Israel uh, that David and Solomon had set up, Solomon was David's king, uh, it had established 200 years earlier had been divided into two kingdoms now. There was a kingdom called Israel in the north that was made up of ten tribes and Judah in the south. The capital of Judah was Jerusalem and it was Judah that like, continued and so Jerusalem uh, is significant today because of that. Um, Israel in the north, their capital was Samaria um, and uh, you know they were rubbing along reasonably well in the 8th uh, century, in the 700s BC. Uh, life was really quite easy for them at this time. See, their biggest enemy had been Assyria. That was a, a major power up, you know, towards um, uh, Baghdad over that way, you know, over in the uh, kind of that part of the Middle East. Uh, and Assyria was was weaker at that time, a bit preoccupied with other things, so didn't keep coming down and raiding uh, Israel and, and threatening Judah as well. Uh, they were prosperous; the economy was going well. You know, everything seemed pretty happy. Um, uh, for them but all that was going to change because within 20 years of Hosea's messages the northern kingdom of Israel the 10 tribes would be no more they'd be smashed to pieces by an Assyrian invasion and they would disappear pretty much off the face of the earth and 150 years later Judah the southern kingdom uh, would be in Babylon in exile their great city, Jerusalem, in ruins. And it was during this time, in the time leading up to that and beyond it, that's when the major prophets of the Bible are writing and speaking. So prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel's a little bit later, but they're all, they all kind of belong to that kind of period of Israel's history. Now... Hosea's message, it tells us here, is really for the northern kingdom, Israel. Let's see what he has to say then. Let's get into it straight away. Chapter 1, verses 2 to 9. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. And after she, that's uh, Hosea's wife, had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ammah, for you are not my people and I am not your God. The shock of a broken relationship. It's a shocking story. Hosea is told by God that he's to go and marry a wife who will be unfaithful. And the NIV tones the language down a bit. It's extremely blunt in the Hebrew original. It says, she's a prostitute. The Hebrew puts it: "Marry a prostitute, have children of prostitution, because the nation is like a prostitute forsaking the Lord." It's kind of like a word that kind of you know comes out, almost kind of shocking straight away. What a what a message to receive! Shocking, isn't it? Now I'm not sure how this worked out. Bible scholars have got slightly different views. Either Hosea knows what she's like. And has this word from God and, and deliberately does what God says and marries her, or, it could be, that he's married to her already, and as he realizes what this woman is like, so the kind of the, the Lord begins to speak through that. Either way, it's shocking. I think probably the majority rests on the first, first one. It is shocking, but you see the point, do you? See, God is saying to the Israelites, you are behaving like an unfaithful wife. You're behaving like somebody committing adultery. And God has got something to say about it. And that's the shock. They they didn't seem to realize it. Maybe they didn't think they were. They thought everything was fine, as we shall see. But that's not the only message. Look what happens when the children are born. They're given names that tells stories. Imagine having this as your name. Here comes the first boy in verses 3 to 4. He's called Jezreel. Jezreel was a place that was infamous in Israel's history. It was like calling a kid, I can't say the word, Shebronitsha or, you know, one of the places in Rwanda where a great massacre had happened or, you know, in the old days, um, you know, just a very kind of famous place where something awful, terrible had happened. Jezreel, and God explains why uh, uh, Hosea is to call his first son Jezreel. Why? Well, because as it says here, this was the place where the current kind of ruling dynasty in Israel had started. Jehu, the, the kind of current king, had massacred the whole royal family of his predecessor—you can read about it in 2 Kings 10. Um, I was going to say it, it, it's something that kind of resembles, um, you know, a Game of Thrones season finale. Um, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I've read the reviews. But you know, it's well known for you know, massacres and just appalling violence. And, and you know, that, and Jehu, although he kind of had permission. Um, Or God had prophesied that he would remove Ahab. Actually, he did so with such relish. You can read it in that uh, chapter... 2 Kings chapter 10. It involved, you know, beheading the, the, the all the royal princes of the household and bringing their heads in baskets. About 75, I think, in a, in baskets to Jezreel. And then he, he tricked other people to come and see him and he massacred them. But uh, you know, I don't know. It's more like, like some kind of action movie body count going through 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, 2 2 Kings chapter 10. All these people are massacred. It's just violent, violent, violent. And God says, I'm not happy with this. I'm going to call Jehu and the kingdom of Israel to account for that. These things matter to me, says God, and we'll see next week. One of the themes of Hosea is this violence that has taken grip on the society of Israel, and God is not pleased about it, and he says so through Hosea. Then, of course, there's a girl born. Verse 6, Goma conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Now this time the text is a bit ambiguous. Do you notice it doesn't say that she's Goma's daughter? Uh, she's Hosea's daughter. Um, and there's a question about that. And her name too has a story, too. Her name is called Hama. It comes from a word uh, compassion. That's what it means. But instead of compassion, it's not compassion. And the word is the word that God uses in the Old Testament for his great compassion as a you know in Psalm 103 as a father has compassion on his children so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him we we'll often you know, use it at funerals you may have heard it there this this idea of this deep kind of from the womb actually that's although of course fathers don't have wounds but you know they've got that idea of this deep kind of compassion that God shows for his children that was almost you know the the, the, the kind of baseline of his relationship with them after he rescued them from Egypt and God says no more I'm not going to have compassion anymore on this nation and then comes another boy now if there were some questions over whether Loruhama uh, was uh, Hosea's I think probably all the ambiguity has gone with the third um, the third boy the second boy the third child because quite literally (laughs) he's called not mine you can feel Hosea's kind of humiliation can't you we'll see more about that and this is the message Israel is not my people that's what his name is not my people not mine anymore and God says from now on he says or coming soon (laughs) is a time when I am not your God. Literally, it, it says, I am not, I am. When did God say, I was, I am? Do you know your Old Testament stories at, at the burning bush? It was the name God revealed to Moses when he said, I want these people to be mine. I want you to take them with you, Moses, out of Egypt. I want to be their God. And, and God is saying to Israel, no, it's gone. It's over. Hosea in his family is carrying this, this, if you like, ultimate kind of breakup text or breakup card or email or conversation from God to his people who says, I've been like your husband and you've been like my wife and it's over. It's finished. I've had enough of you. It's a serious message, isn't it? He's saying, it's not me, it's you. You've been adulterous. You've left me. I can't take it anymore. Now, can we feel the shock of this? It is a shocking message. Imagine if you were an Israelite hearing Hosea speaking this message. Because Israel thought everything was fine. Or, or maybe they just saw God. By now, they just, they've got stories about God. Yeah, they went to the... Well, they didn't go to temples in Israel. They went to these special shrines. That was part of their problem, actually, because they didn't go to, back to Jerusalem because that was in the other kingdom. But they, you know, they did the right things. You know, they showed up at the right places. You know, they were God's people. They were called Israel. That means you know, a, a, a prince with God. That, it was actually built into their name. So why would there be a problem? It was all right, wasn't it? God was loving. He was the God who said, I'd have compassion on you. He'd love them, surely. Yeah, there was a bit of violence and bloodshed. You know, society was a bit violent. These days, they were kind of expanding their worship experiences, as we shall see, by doing different things and worshipping God in new ways, you know. Everything was fine. What's the problem? So can you you feel the shock of it? Hosea's kind of word must have just shocked them. Now I wonder, can we get like that with God in our relationship with him? He's okay, isn't he? You know, you may or may not be a believer, but you know, I'm a good person, you know, I'm British, you know, God's blessed us, we're okay. Can we get like that? Yeah, we do a few things now that we didn't think we should have done a few years ago. But, you know, hey, it's all right. You know, it's it's the 21st century, for goodness sake. You know, uh, yeah, it's okay. Is that how we are sometimes? God won't mind. He's loving. So if he's loving, he's fine. He's like Father Christmas in the sky, you know. Sit on his knee, tell him you've been good, and he'll give you a few presents at Christmas time. That's Okay what we sometimes think? Well, if we do, we could be in for a bit of a shock, as Hosea's message, here as well. But oh, Hosea speaks uh, a message. Let's read on. Chapter 10, or chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, and... Uh, The book of Hosea includes words that God speaks and words that Hosea speaks about God. And this is the first message that Hosea speaks in chapter 1, verse 10. And Hosea goes in his message to say, Yet the Israelites will be like sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up up, out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. Now we're kind of skimming here, but you see what Hosea sees beyond this threat of judgment. You see, in Hosea, there's a dire warning of God's judgment, but there are amazing messages of hope And we'll see in this book, if you read it through, you'll see that, yes, as I say, these things follow on like like a kind of rhythm in the poetry of the rest of the book. And here Hosea goes back to God's promise to Abraham. He says, look, Israel will be like the sand on the seashore because that's what God promised to Abraham. He goes back here to the reference to God's rescuing them out of Egypt. There's this promise that these dreadful names will one day be turned around. Hosea gets a vision of how that one day people will be called children of the living God. Hosea sees beyond this to God's big purposes for something much more than the judgment of the northern kingdom of Israel. And that's what Jesus did. How did people become children of God? You know, John one, what it says in John One? Talking of Jesus, those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. So Hosea kind of glimpses kind of back to Abraham, sees God's purposes, and beyond, and he sees this judgment, this this dark future is not the end. God's got something more, something better, something wonderful. So that's the shock of a broken relationship. But there's this message of hope. Let's look on, because there's another message from Hosea uh, in chapter 2. Let's read some verses from chapter uh, 2, verse 2. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise I will strip her naked and make her as bare as the day she was born. I will make her like a desert and turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and she has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Move on to verse 8. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take away my grain when it ripens, my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. And Then move on to verse 13. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry, jewelry and went after her lovers. But me she forgot, declares the Lord. Here Hosea brings this message from God. And this is all about the pain of a broken relationship. Now lots of us won't need to know what that means because we would have experienced something of it but here we get another look right close into Hosea's family you see what happens uh, Hosea uh, you know uh, it's almost Hosea is like talking to his family but then it kind of gradually morphs into God speaking to Israel he's asking the children to make his point to their mother you know that's how bad the relationship has has, has become he's saying to the children tell her this And there's pain here, isn't there? There's pain in Hosea's heart from his marriage. But soon as we read through, we see that it's about the pain in God's heart because of his people's unfaithfulness. God says there that his people have been pursuing other lovers. They've been going after other gods. And all all they can think of, all that his kind of unfaithful wife, Israel, can think of is what she can get. My food, my water, my this, my that. Did you notice the emphasis on my, 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 my? And you feel the sense of pain in verses 8 to 9 when God says, I gave her those things. I gave her those things and then she lavished them on Baal, the false gods. And the pain of that phrase. She went after other lovers, but me, she forgot. Can you can you can you feel that in the poetry? The the pain of it. That God, this is God, who's expressing that kind of painful emotion here. She was so busy. So so says God. I'm going to take it all away. I want her to see clearly. Now, what was going on? Well, Israel was getting into the worship of Baal, or Baal. It says so here. Now, Baal, or Baal, was the Canaanites. Canaan was a place where they lived, the tribes that were there before Israel arrived. Baal was their kind of overlord God. And everybody around saw fertility and crops and success and prosperity as kind of coming from the hand of this master god this overlord god called Baal or Baal he had a wife called Ashtara, uh, and and there were other kind of aspects of, of it I won't go into details here we from what we know the worship of Baal, Baal involved just a great deal of sex it was a kind of a uh, like kind of um, occult type worship where the idea was that, that, you know, if you did what you wanted the God to do, they would do it. So you wanted fertility and procreation. So you had a lot of sects and orgies in the worship of Baal. That's, that's, that's kind of how it worked. That's why it's such an appropriate image that God uses to say, You've, you're committing spiritual adultery, Israel, by welcoming this kind of stuff into your lives. Now, you know, they were, they were just simply adding it in. As I say, I don't think they were necessarily stopping worshipping God, you know, doing the things that they thought he wanted them to do. But they were kind of bringing all this other stuff in as well. You see, the word Baal, Baal, meant master. It may be that they were saying, well, you know, we can do that. You know, it's just, you know, you know some people call God, God, you know, Yahweh, the Lord. Other people call him Baal. You know, we're talking about the same God. It's okay, Maybe this is just another way we can worship God. And this stuff was coming in and it was, it was turning their hearts away from God. But it seemed to work. They had a great time at the orgies. The crops were growing. Everything seemed fine. Everything was prosperous. What's, what's to worry about? What's not to like, they might have said. That what's going on is they're starting to trust other things rather than the Lord and their hearts were being turned away. So here's our question then. We don't worship necessarily gods like that. But where do we put our trust? Who do we love most? Where do we trust? Where where do we find our security? Is it in ourselves? In what we do? In my success or my hard work? My good luck? My health? My security? And we forget like Israel did that God gives us all these things. And it can work out in our individual lives. That's why God cares about our, our rebellion and our sin. Because he knows we're made to know him. He wants us to be in His loving relationship with him. That's why it matters to him. He wants it the best for us. He cares about it. Because he knows that the destruction that comes with leaving him behind. That's why he wants us to turn to him. Or to come back to him. It can work out in a community, in a church community, can it? Our hearts can wander off. We start trusting other things than God. We we start taking God's blessing for granted. We start to forget him as we chase other things. It can happen to us. Can it happen to a nation as well? Could it happen to our nation? Now, some of us, and I can understand this, find the idea in these Old Testament passages of, of God being angry. A very difficult thing to get hold of. Now I think that these kind of passages help. See, God is angry with his people because he's in pain. Because he cares so much. Because he's like, you know, you would feel if you were in Hosea's position. And anger is not inappropriate. It's not like some impersonal kind of thing that kind of just God wants to zap people or destroy Israel. I mean, he is he's torn apart almost, if I can say that about God, which because I can't, that's the problem of talking about It's the problem of what some people call anthropomorphism and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, but the, the, that whole issue, though, God is describing himself. He's choosing to, to describe his relationship with Israel in that way. He is in pain. And in that pain, he's, he's angry. He's hurt because it really, really matters to him when they turn their back and walk away or let other things in that displace their love for him. God's upset when we turn away. Consequences follow as we live our lives without him. Judgment can come upon us. And that just adds to his pain. You see, God's love, we talk about God's love, and the Bible says God is love, and we think about God's love as some kind of impersonal force, like gravity. It isn't. Love is relational. It's relational with us, and it's relational with God and us. That's why these kind of passages exist, to help us understand that. Well, let's read a bit more of Hosea's message from chapter 2, verse 14. It begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the bowels from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. Verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Then verse 23, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. This is, this is, the, the, more, you know, this is the hope. A hope of a renewed relationship. In you know, verse 14, when I read therefore, what were you expecting? You know, it says, Went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord, the end of verse 13, therefore. Well, the last time we saw a therefore was at the beginning of verse 9 when he said, therefore, I will take away my grain. You know, you're expecting a therefore, more judgment. But what comes? Therefore, he says, I I will lead her into the desert. I will speak tenderly to her. It's the language of love. He he says, I'm going to speak to her heart. I'm going to almost flirt with her. I'm going to court her, use that old expression, or woo her, another old expression. I'm going to kind of bring her back. I'm going to whisper sweet nothings in her ear, we used to say. I don't know whether we say that. The great problem of our current society is uh, 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 romance is... Uh, oh, no, I shouldn't say I didn't say romance is dead. It's all about sex and where's, where's the romance gone? But anyway... I'll speak tenderly to her. And I've said it's on the, online and everything. I'll be in trouble. With <laughs> you may disagree. I, I, I'm, I'm a man in my late 50s. It's just how it appears to me. But anyway, I may be wrong. He says, I'm going to take her back. to the, What's the significance of the wilderness? The wilderness was when they took Israel, went out of Egypt, and it was in the wilderness, those 40 years. God married her. God got to know Israel. God became her God. At Sinai, he gave them the law. And it's like God is saying, I'm going to take her back. Now, if you know, some of us in our relationships, places matter, don't they? I met Mary in Cardiff when we were students. Uh, We both lived in a town called... Tony and Mary aren't here today. They know all about this. I lived in a town called... Oh, you are here. I was going to talk about Penarth, which I mustn't be too rude about. Penarth was a little flower outside Cardiff. That's where we met. We fell in love. It wasn't... I was going to say, think about Penarth, I remember there's an awful lot of dog's poo around the pavements. It was a place you, could, you couldn't walk around. You had to kind of pirouette from, you know, to avoid. But anyway, that's where we met and that's where we fell in love. I'm sure they've cleaned it up a bit now. No offence, guys. They have. Thank you. It's a lovely little town. And there were places there, I remember one night we stood on the beach uh, and looked at the moon and talked to each other and, you know, uh, yeah, special places. And God says, I'm going to take Israel back to the place where we fell in love. I can take her back to a new relationship. And that's why there's this amazing uh, image of betrothal. God says they've gone after Baal. Baal meant master. The Lord says, you're going to know something better. You're going to know me as a husband, not a master. It's the language of betrothal there. That Hebrew binding arrangement where gifts were given. And uh, God says, I'm going to come, I'm going to bring to the relationship righteousness and justice, love and compassion, faithfulness. And again, there's this promise that the names will be reversed. All this spells out what God will do. It spells out what he wants for people in relationship with him. When is this going to happen? Well, the New Testament actually quotes these verses, pointing to what God did through Jesus, bringing people into a relationship with him. What is the picture of Jesus' relationship with us in the New Testament? We say it every time we have a wedding. It's a picture of a bride and a bridegroom. A new relationship with God, which Hosea again sees. And we know that Israel actually did come back. They were exiled, they came back to their land, and so on. We celebrate this here. Maybe finally, I'm going to have to really rush, I'm sorry I'm taking too much time, but some people looking on, me hearing that, I think, yeah, come on, Hosea, how's that going to happen then? And Hosea would say to them, well, let me give you my testimony and it's here in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Because the Lord says something to him again. Go show your love to your wife. Again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, for I will live with you. For the Israelites uh, will live for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterwards the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Here in uh, Hosea's testimony is the final point which isn't coming up amen I perhaps you could put that out is the cost of love now the NIV kind of uh, is translation is not particularly good here so I'm told he actually says God says to Hosea go and love a wife or love a woman it doesn't go say go show your love it is go and love this woman even though by now she's loved by another man he, he you know Hosea's love is probably far gone by now but God says Go and love her. Love is mentioned four times. And it goes a great breadth of love. Hosea is told to love, to go and do something, take her back. Although she's loved by someone else, he's probably the pimp or whatever. That's why there's money involved in getting her back. The Lord loves the Israelites. There's great love of God. But what do the Israelites love? Raisin cakes. (laughs) You know, there's a kind of banality and what does that mean? Well, noted they're called the sacred raisin cakes. Basically, they 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 love the kind of spiked raisin cakes they got at the Baal worship orgies. They were probably you know drugged and you know got them g- going if they needed to be got going a bit more. You know, there's a cost involved. Hosea has to scrape together, not just cash, but goods. You notice that. He has enough cash, but he has to you know, get stuff out of his garage you know, and say, I've got this much cash. Will you take some barley and some other stuff? He's completely clean, cleaned out. He gives everything to get her back. It's messy. It's difficult. Hosea and Goma don't have a romantic relationship. Sorry, it's not a kind of rom-com type ending, but it is the beginning of a, a different kind of life. Because if you look at it, uh, uh, Jose is saying you're not—you know—you're not, you know, not going to have sex with any more men, uh, Goma. It's over. It's finished. And by the way, you and I—we're—we're going to—you know—we're going to be celibate for a while. Uh, and and the kind—you of, can see that there's a rehabilitation going. This woman who has been addicted to sex and probably know nothing of love. Has to learn. This couple have to learn a new way of living and loving. Uh, Just as God promises a new relationship for the Israelites who would turn to him. And the Israelites would come as one nation. They would return. They did. They did seek the Lord. They came back after the exile. Even some of Israel, but it was mainly Judah. But it says here some from Judah did did so as well. They were desperate for their king and he came, Jesus. When he was born... Mary was told, this is the son of David. This is the king. He's arrived. And then they rejected him. And in that way, because of that, people like us can come to know God. We'll celebrate that in a moment. And one day, many more Israelites may well come back to God before it's all over. So what does this tell us about God's love? It's costly. It's kind of got feelings involved. Jesus gave everything for us to come back into relationship with God. It cost him everything. Mm-hmm. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself so that we could be rescued, so that we could come back. He died on the cross. He experienced the agony of a fractured relationship with God as he died in the darkness for you and for me. God's love is passionate God feels the pain when we're unfaithful to him. And our response is to turn back, to be loyal. And like Hosea's wife and Hosea, we have to learn a new way of living with our Lord, of loving him. Our old gods have to be left behind, and that's not always easy. They can be a real fight on, but we learn to live and to love our Lord. God's love is personal. So we respond personally. We can know his forgiveness. We can know this king. We can know this hope. However far we've gone away, we can know it. That's Hosea's promise. Shocking, but shocking because of the pain of it, but shocking because of the amazing love that God reveals in this story. We'll find more about what Hosea's message was and what um, God had to say to his people next week. Sorry I've taken a lot of time but I'll leave it with you guys, thanks.